Today on Karina and Kirsten Get to Work, we have the pleasure and privilege of talking about caregivers. Yeah. Woohoo! Woohoo! Yippity yippity! The important, the ever spectacular, mm-hmm. the people who are holding it all together, mm-hmm. the atlases holding up the world. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Karina Hoyer. And I'm Kirsten Barron. And we are so happy that you've decided to join us today, where we are going to talk all about how to get ease, meaning, and joy for women. In your workplace. In your workplace. Most specifically today, caregivers in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And by caregiver, we mean all of those people whose job it is to care for others. Is that clear? Yes. Do I need to clarify that anymore? Are we talking about teachers? I think we're going to talk about teachers. Social workers. Yes, absolutely. Nurses. Anyone in the medical professionals, Mm -hmm. uh, home health aides, et cetera. Caregivers extraordinaire. And we're going to do it. We are going to record this fabulous episode from the land of the Coast Salish Salish people. people. There you have it. That is the intro. Although I keep thinking we probably need to tell people a little bit about ourselves. But you know what? Every once in a while, maybe we should. Frankly? Yeah. Should we do that this time? I think we should do it. What do you do? What are you all about? Why do I want to listen to you, Kirsten? That is a great question. And people have to listen to the episode to determine that. (laughs) See, I'll just lure you in to what's going to happen today. Um, I'm a business and employment lawyer. And I'm here because I want women to have ease, meaning, and joy in their work. We're there all the time. And of course, I love my friend Karina. So why not be here? It's so fun. <laughs> this is so fun. And I am an organizational development consultant. I My job is to help leaders and leadership teams do their jobs, solve their problems, and get along with each other. Very nice. How's that? Um, but here we are talking about caregivers. And I am so excited to do this show. But before we do, I have to just give props to my dear friend Kirsten. Mm. Mm. who was nearly on time today. Almost. Ding, ding, ding. If we had a bell, I'd ring it. (laughs) Because, I mean, to your credit, you cram so much into a day. I'm very optimistic. And you're very optimistic about how long stuff is going to take. And in order to record, you have to finish your workday early and drive across town and get to my house. Today was going to be by 3 o'clock. And you were close. You were really, really close. That's so kind of you. And I just love that positive outlook because I'm not really sure what it says. But it's like, oh, my gosh, you were so close to being on time. Are you? No. But are you using new strategies? What's the story? You know, I mean, anybody who has listened to even one episode, I'm sure (laughs) recognizes, knows, now has learned that I am a chronically late person. I tend to um, characterize it as my over-optimistic kind of personality. (laughs) But in fact, it is about tardiness. Um, I have this a little bit of an aha moment, primarily talking to you on a walk. It came later, as these things often do to me, (laughs) later after I marinated on it, I was like, wait a minute. My time, my calendar is not for just other people to fill. Like I've always viewed my calendar as for other people to fill for appointments and things I need to do and where I need to be. Yeah. And for the first time, and I know people are going to be like, oh, holy shit, Kirsten, really? No, I can't wait for it. But for the first time, I was like, wait a minute. I can put stuff on the calendar. <laughs> oh my God. You have agency. It's you have control time. of it. It is your it's my time. time. It's not just my client's time. It's not just my staff's time. It's actually my time too. 
Oh, yes. Here we go. Learning something today. Something new every day. It is interesting. I feel like that. Yes, your time is yours. It is an allocated resource, yes. too, that if you give it away, it's like there's only so much of a finite resource to allocate. And that it's okay for me to keep some. It's okay. Yeah. It's preferred, in yes, fact. And, and, and it should be expected. I just never viewed it that way, really. I always be like, oh, when can I fit this in? Or when can I fit that in? Or when can I do whatever? I'll just fit it in. And then I just had this realization like, <laughs> oh, I'll just schedule it. I schedule this thing called KB10. Mm. And um, my legal assistant, Sam, came in and said, do I have to worry about KB10 on your calendar? What is KB10? <laughs> and I was like, don't worry about it, Sam. And he was very earnest, which was super sweet. But KB10 is I take 10 minutes in the afternoon to stare into space or into the sky or do something that absolutely detaches my brain and my eyes from my screen. Scheduled it in. Oh, my God. I know. This is news to me. And I thought I knew everything about your life. (laughs) And I also what's news to me is that you have to schedule in a 10 minute zone out break. Oh, it's so good. No, I mean, I can see why it's so important. I'm shocked that it has to be regimented. I'll tell you, I'll be honest. I only get it like three out of five work days. Oh my God. But I'm getting better. No, I love this notion of time. And in fact, when we talked about time in that episode about time, Mm -hmm. it has been one of the reoccurring themes for us. Like you said, we talk about it a fair bit on the show and also individually, like how are we managing time, expectations, meeting everybody's and our own sort of needs throughout the day. Uh, You know, the two resources we have are time and our money. So that is like, of course, we talk about time all the time. It's like our most precious resource. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, it's a nice segue into this episode today, Mm -hmm. because as we know, in the last couple of years, anyone who's in a caregiving profession has been working a lot on hyperdrive Mm -hmm. for and sustained for and with intensity while they're there. Yeah. I mean, the reason we wanted to do this show was to just say we see you, to recognize and call out and be able to talk about the experiences of caregivers in this time, in this sort of COVID time, in this time of social unrest, in this Mm -hmm. time of a lot of uncertainty in the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what I want? Like, I want listeners to just think about as we talk about this issue, those the news stories about what was going on in Italy when like the hospital mm-hmm. workers would get off work or whatever. And the people would come outside at the end of shift and clap and play music and hoot and holler. Because if I could play music, <laughs> that's what I would do just to have this deep sense of appreciation for what all of those people who have been caring for others have been doing the last two years. Yeah. And frankly, for, for a very, very long for time, a very, but particularly and- just, like digging so deep yeah. these last two years. Yes, with the intensity and mm-hmm. and the amount of time spent and, you know, with even limited resources and shifting and constant change. So today what we want to do is we definitely want to talk about who these caregivers are. Spoiler alert, it's mostly women. Uh, we want to really investigate sort of what their experience is, what they're going through, what they're saying it feels like, and then certainly offer some of the strategies that we read that other caregivers are using to combat some of the stress and anxiety that comes along with this that profession. Is a, that, is a, that is a great summary. My hope is that 
that people who are caregivers who who hear this feel heard and acknowledged and affirmed with their experience and that the rest of us just remember and be grateful and appreciative and aware Mm -hmm. because we run into these people all the time. No, they are our mothers, Mm -hmm. our sisters, our Mm -hmm. friends. In my case, my clients, Mm -hmm. they are caregivers are everywhere. So just to, as, as if you need just a reminder, what we mean again by caregiver is those really those formal professions. There is another whole genre of caregivers that we're not necessarily diving into today, which are the people who are caregiving elderly or children In, or kind adults. Of informal caregivers. They're not really paid for those tasks, but they do those tasks. We talk about that a lot. Yes. The women but, who do the yeah. second shift mm-hmm. or the third shift. So today is really more about formal caregivers. And Kirsten said it at the beginning. You know, what we found was those were defined as really people who are working either in social services, healthcare, or as educators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, as a side note, as I was looking, uh, doing reading for this show, caregiver traditionally really does mean the informal. It means the people who are, again, kind of taking care of children or, or elderly, the nurses, teachers, social workers, whatever, are actually called feminine professions. Which I just cannot do it. I can't do it, Karina. No, I'm going to. I'm not doing it. That stops. That shit stops right here, right right now. No. uh -uh. Never again. These are not (laughs) called feminine professions. Although, according to this 2019 report we saw, there are a hell of a lot of women doing it. There are a tremendous number of women doing it. Absolutely. Doing it, meaning caregiving. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive into the stats about caregivers. In these feminine professions? Not doing that work. Okay, I'm sorry. Did we already cover that? We covered that. (laughs) BS. So we have some data from a 2019 Bureau of Labor Statistics report about women and caregiving. And they're lumped into a couple of categories, three categories, really social services, healthcare, and then educators. So I just want to have us just touch base so we know who we're talking who about. Who are we talking about? Yep. What kind of professions, who, how many, what percentage are women? So let's talk about that a bit. Okay. Social services. Um, in that area, about 76% are counselors and 81% are social workers. So a huge number of folks who are in social services are women, and a I, huge percentage. Yeah, and I think about these women who are in the last couple of years really bearing the brunt of helping people access social programs, mm-hmm. feed their families, find access to healthcare, to homes to jobs to whatever support elderly people who are stuck in their homes yes all of those things people with developmental disabilities you know access educational resources yes and counsel mm-hmm. and do mental health, yeah, right? you can, caring I mean, for mental health. I don't know about where listeners are located, but I know in our community, trying to get into a mental health counselor is very difficult. Yeah. And again, this is United States statistics. Shout out to Mexico because mm-hmm. we got so many listeners down there. I can't even hardly believe it right now. Um, again, social services, 80 women, 80 percent of women yep. are women. 80 mm-hmm. percent are women. And then we've just acknowledged like. What the last two years have been like for those workers. Yes. A lot. A lot. Okay, let's dip into healthcare. Yeah. We see the same kind of stats for healthcare. Women are 77% of all healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. They're almost 90% of registered nurses. They're 87% of like the support occupations, like techs and aides, that kind of position. And of course, you know, we've seen 
really some wonderful progress with more women as physicians, more women in medical school, more women, you know, getting those higher level jobs. However, shout out to Hayden. Oh, shout out to Hayden. <laughs> there she goes on her way. Kirsten's daughter in med school. Okay, my sorry. daughter in med school. Okay. And aside, just as well. Sorry. Aside. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about the 6 million healthcare workers out there who are earning less than $30,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah. Who are in these Multi, yeah, medicating and caring for and, and spending cleaning long up days after bathing and, and feeding, feeding are most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And they're making less than $30,000 a year. Yep. Drum roll, please. They are 83% women, female. Yep. And over half are people of color. Yeah. Yeah. It's astonishing. Mm-hmm. And yet not surprising. And not surprising. Yeah. And not only that, you know, there there are uh, these this whole other subset of healthcare workers, kind of the home health and mm-hmm. personal care aides. Mm-hmm. They count them separately, I think. And they earn li- li- little more than minimum wage, again, under $30,000 a year and significantly under $30,000 a year. And until recently, we're even exempt from basic labor protections like overtime laws and mm-hmm. sick leave and whatnot. And eight out of 10 of those are women. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because, and I say this time and time again, when I think about the show and I picture our listener, I think of a woman worker in an office because I have, that's my bias. Yeah. I think of a woman worker in an office in a leadership position when in fact women workers are in so many cases, as we just said, social services and healthcare and educators. Right. Which we also have statistics about. And we see the same, and this is very, very interesting with educators. 80, 80.5% are teaching women are teachers for elementary and middle school kiddos. Okay. So of all the teachers for elementary and middle school, 80.5% are women. Mm-hmm. Craziness here, preschool and kindergarten teachers, 99% are women. And I just want to say right now that there is something wrong with that statistic. Like if we cannot look at that statistic and say to ourselves, what's going on with that? Yeah. Why are 99% of preschool and kindergarten teachers women? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? What is that? What does that say about us? And what is Oh, my God. And before I say, what does it say about us? Thank you. To all those folks who are out there with those kiddos. Yeah. But what's interesting, though, about these stats, too, is when you get to special ed teachers, mm-hmm. 88% are women, which is still tr- like hugely overweighted. Yes. But it's interesting to me that there still are 12% male mm-hmm. special ed teachers. Mm-hmm. I just find these statistics so interesting. Yeah. I do too. And it, but and again it screams female female female. Mm-hmm. These are the jobs that women are doing. Okay, here's what I want to know. How did we get here? Like when you say these are the jobs women are doing. Like in the olden days, I always have thought that men were primarily teachers. Well, I think it was a long time ago. In fact, there's a great article olden days teaching in light that of word. women's history that sort of talks about this. And I don't want to go too deep into it, but Essentially, when the system to generate, when we went from like the tutor, the scholar, you know, descending wisdom down to the aristocrat to this mass education, um, it was seen as a job that was sort of below men. And in fact, that's kind of how women entered into the educational field. Because men weren't men off working in the factories making loads of money. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or working in the field or whatnot. But uh, women, I believe, were the first to organize. I think female teachers were some of the very first to organize for labor, for labor yeah. and, and, mm-hmm. and um, unions to say, uh, hello, over here, you guys are assholes and you can't treat us like this. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of empowering. But I want to go back to these statistics one more time for just a second. One more time for just a second. <laughs> Just a second. Go for it, friend. One more time. Why? We. I know. I know. I know what you're going to say. I know. Men are so (laughs) underrepresented in these fields. Uh And similarly, women are underrepresented in leadership positions in which we corporate care about, offices which we also we care talk about, about and science and, and math and technology and we follow and right. we figure out why and we do studies on it that's right we very much care about that yes we have social programs put in place to to get more women into these uh, these sort of male dominated fields Yes. But these female professions, Mm -hmm. feminine professions, oh my God, I cannot believe I just used that phrase. Um, The professions where women are predominantly present, why do we not have the same attention to get men? It's because it's seen as less than. We are, they are seen as settling. In fact, my sister, who's also a teacher, she's a fifth grade, has said, why do I have to be feel, why do I have to feel bad? Like I've settled. For this noble, incredibly important, critical job, I'm educating our you know our community's youth, and it's seen as settling. So we don't we don't have the same attention to get men into these fields Which as we is do to get women. So in bizarre because, as you pointed out, it's so important for these kids to see these other people in these roles. Yeah. For the same reason you want a woman at the table in the C-suite or the whatever, right? Right. You want a man around the conference table talking about the kindergartners or teaching the preschoolers or whatever it is. It's very interesting how we respond to this. It is. And I also know that men who are, especially in nursing, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of jabbing and discrimination. And again, they are seen as less mm-hmm. It's all just like this bizarre, you know, sociological study on what we value and who does what in the society, in society. And I know that this episode is not about that, but I just had to point it out. But I do think it really impacts, like you said about your sister, it really impacts the way caregivers feel about their work. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think we're trying to call out, which is, now this is work to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. This is work to be acknowledged and lifted up and sought after, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And in fact, I will say that one of the things, like you, like we said at the beginning, we want to celebrate and say, we see you. And mm-hmm. I dug, I can't tell you how many different Google searches I tried to find statistics about the beautiful um, um, payoffs or benefits of being in caregiver professions. I wanted to say these people are amazing and they create these beautiful things for us. And I wanted to come with data and it doesn't exist. The data doesn't exist, Kirsten. For this episode, I looked, I'm not going to, I I spent hours like how many lives do we think nurses save every day or, or what stuff are the, like that? Yeah, what are the psychological benefits of being a, in a caregiving profession? Oh, or for the caregiver for themselves. Care, the caregiver mm-hmm. themselves or what do we, you know, blah, blah, blah. How, I wanted to celebrate. I wanted to bring statistics teachers that celebrate than CEOs. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't find it. The dominant themes were talking about getting women into more lucrative jobs, i.e. shaming yes. women who are doing these roles rather than celebrating them. Or another theme was about experiences who of men who are trying to break into the roles, like the nurse so that's shamed. I was just like, you 
Oh, I was just about to cuss but in a you big know, way. This is so good for us to just, we're just checking our assumptions. Yeah. We're checking our assumptions and the rules we've created ourselves for ourselves to figure out whether they, sh- whether they really work. And my, I don't think they do. Yeah. When you say rules we've created for ourselves, what do you mean by that? Oh, the rules that women should be teachers or nurses and men shouldn't do that. And that um, caregivers are, uh, that the, the, uh, the lack of importance and they don't deserve to be compensated because so, you know, whatever the, whatever the stories we continue to tell ourselves that really deprive us of a richness and an inclusivity in our lives. Yeah. This is one, this is one more of the stories. This one more of the story. Mm-hmm. And one sisters, more we see you. Caregiving professionals, we mm-hmm. see you. And we also see that that there's they some are, hard stuff. Here. There's some hard stuff here. Yeah, really hard stuff. Really, especially recently. Yes, burnout and compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen it in my own clients. Which, I I have compassion fatigue sometimes. Oh sure, I do. I get it sometimes. How does that manifest for you? I get really sad. That's what I experience. I experience it as being really sad, and I'm really aware that caregivers experience this in spades, yeah. right? They're in situations where there's a lot of unknowns, right? What's going to happen? Who's going to need what? Who's not going to show up? Who's going to show up? Do they really have a full bench of employees even? So very unknown circumstances. Which we know un- is, a, is a thing. I mean, yeah, we know that uh, unpredictability is mm-hmm. is a really interesting tr- mind tripper. Yes, and a stressor. Yeah. And these yeah. caregivers are walking into unpredictable situations mm-hmm. nearly every day. Mm-hmm. And there's been a ton of short staffing. And here's the thing, too. Most of these folks ultimately work alone. Uh, a like, lot of, yes. Yes, it's yes. rare to be like in a team. You might go back to a place where there are other people or you have whatever, but a lot of the work that's done, teachers especially, they're like alone all day. Yeah. You don't think about that. They're with kids, but they are alone in their work. Yes. And that leads folks to not feel supported. And yeah, the camaraderie is gone. Mm-hmm. The things that we talk mm-hmm. about getting ease, meaning, and joy, building friendships, mm-hmm. collaborating, team, being recognized for your skill sets. Yeah, not happening. Those are all, and they're, yeah, especially when you're working by Alone. yourself yeah. or you feel isolated. And I think clearly it's it's always an unrelenting pace in caregiving, whether it's teachers or caregivers, or so there's always people needing, needing, mm-hmm. needing. But during COVID, it's just been ridiculous. Yeah, it has been. It is, it, yes. And this is leading to burnout. This is leading to compassion fatigue. And it's leading to just this insane number of job openings. And I know you said you, we're not sure if there are, there are actually the job openings for nurses in the United States is nearing almost double what it was before the pandemic. Interesting. And I don't know if that's because there's increased need or increased s- openings, increased yeah. openings as people are leaving. I'm going to say it's both. It's got to probably both. Mm-hmm. That was from um, Indeed Hiring Lab. But, you know, cl- but there what really what this points to is that there's higher need, regardless of the reason, there's more need. So those are people who are continuing to do this work are doing it in a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. There, it's resource constrained, i.e. there's not a lot of other people. And the studies report that probably almost half of these workers have burnout. Yeah. Which is a lot. Yes. Uh, 40, almost half of them, half of the women have burnout. Uh, f- almost 50% of women are experiencing burnout compared to f- a near, uh, almost uh, 41% of men. Also common among, among women are this like self-reported prevalence of some mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Women are like for almost 40% of women working in caregiving are self-reporting mental health issues compared to fewer men, about 26% of men. 
And again, it's like, why? Well, all those conditions that you just said, plus women come home, like women are also then coming home and doing a double shift mm-hmm. or a triple shift. They're care- caretaking their families. They're caretaking their elderly, etc. So it's, it's like this one-two punch. Yeah, it's a one-two punch, which is similar to what teachers are experiencing. Yes. I mean, this is a really common phenomena, I think, exacerbated by the pandemic. But I feel like it's always been there in some way. It's just mm-hmm. I think we see it in a bigger way because the pandemic has brought so much light and awareness yes. to these issues for folks who are caregivers. Yeah. yeah. And also so much need. I mean, this is the this oh my is also gosh. this is the crazy part, right? You got, you know, you over here, I'm pointing non-caregiver, can't do your job without these essential mm-hmm. workers, without the people who are caring for your child, you know, teaching your child, yep. caregiving your elderly, you know, working at the hospital. Um, and it's, you know, so it has a social impact. In addition to the impact on the individual, this burnout and um, compassion fatigue that they're experiencing, all of these issues that we're seeing and talking about have an, have a impact on us as a community, as a society. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's the one, that's something, Karina, that I'm really glad you pointed out because we kind of think that these things, we talk about these statistics, it's other people, Mm -hmm. right? But in reality, it really does affect everything, Mm -hmm. right? It affects the way caregivers are working, the way caregivers are interacting in the rest of their lives. You know, some days during the, especially during the pandemic, like in the middle of the pandemic, when I would see people's just their eyes, their eyes looked so sad, Mm. right? Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I just feel like we kind of sometimes think we live in isolation, but I just have this belief that all of these things that are happening to these people really affect us too, whether we're exactly experiencing the things or not. Yeah. Especially when it's happening to this whole huge swath of the workforce. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, as a, as, as a civil society, as a society, we need to ask ourselves, is the system that we've built that has led to this okay mm-hmm. with us no no it's not it's not and that was my point before yes yeah that's what i'm trying to say i'm trying yep. to paraphrase you know me Thank i you like for to restate me. i like to restate what's well, been no, already you're road stated us. i love it when you roadmap us you're like <laughs> kirsten this is the sign left turn left here's where we were here's where we're going here's where, here's going, where we are right you now you need to go there kirsten here's, let me let me take you there but I also think that this question, right, this it, we're asking, we're, we're, we're daylighting this, we're saying we see you, we're saying there's there are issues, but because these professions are predominantly women, I am less hopeful that things will change. Unless we see, you know, and we, and we have talked about this, unless we see a significant investment in the creation of more affordable child care in the legitimizing and honoring and, um, you know, doing the, the clapping and this recognition right. for the importance of these roles, you know, unless or unless we stop doing them. Yeah. Unless we go on strike. Yeah. Which I'm not necessarily calling for a strike here, but I'm saying like it's an interesting cycle that we are in. And COVID has just opened, along with many other things, opened up a window for us to take a hard look at this. To really see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To really see people. I'll be honest. I knew caregivers worked hard. I knew teachers worked hard. I got it. But I really, until the pandemic, it didn't like strike me in the heart. 
Mm-hmm. And now it strikes me in the heart. I'm yeah. like, oh, you know, it can take my breath away sometimes yeah. when yes. I look at these at these workers, at these women who are working in these jobs and having these experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And feeling devalued mm-hmm. along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we've talked about how to manage stress, how to manage burnout, how to bring your best self, how to, you know, work within your values and whatnot. But there are some things that are specific to caregivers that. Um, some of our reading pointed to um, how, i.e., there are some tactics and skills that are specific to caregivers um, to manage your stress. But a lot of them are dependent on the employer. Yeah. Right. They are. It's the conditions within which you are working. And what I found really interesting is the statistic that we haven't talked about, but that I think is applicable here. Like, you know, and I'll just talk about people in the healthcare profession, about 50% feel like they're supported by their employer. Mm -hmm. But the numbers are higher than that sometimes for their, like, for their negative experiences. So to me, it was like, I think that, yes, employers have to do their part. It should not be 50%. It should be 100%. But I think that it says something about us as a society. It's not just the employers. It's about us as a society, how we view, how we support, how we acknowledge, how we recognize, how we're appreciative. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So I do think this does require a societal shift. Yeah. And what we expect. I think of the entitled person laying in the hospital bed that expects the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, it's just it just. And is angry that they're sick. And scared and upset and all of that's coming out. And who's on the receiving end of all of that fear and anxiety? It's the caregiver. It's our, it's women. Yeah. It's us. Mm-hmm. And similarly, the child, the, you know, et cetera, the, the people in need of social services and whatnot. So it is an interesting thing. We have personal responsibility. We have social responsibility. And those women who are in the caregiving profession also hopefully have some tools to manage their stress. Yeah, all the things, right? All the things we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Is there a way for you to take time off? Is there available leave? Is there someone you can talk to about getting support with some problem, some issue that you're struggling with at home? Is there an employee assistance program? Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, I'm just like a huge believer in if you can find one, a therapist. Mm-hmm. So helpful. Yes. So helpful. You know, somebody I just recently talked to gave so many ideas and um, he runs an organization here locally who has whose workers are just really dealing with people who are in bleak situations and he makes time and space for them to meet with each other without leadership he requires that they everyone talk to somebody in the employee assistance program once a month it's a requirement of the job that for folks who don't know for a check-in that is uh really essentially access to a health care provider that's provided by your health by your insurance or by your employer an eap program is more expansive because if you have like a legal problem or a financial problem like you're struggling with your bills eap programs also have support for like consumer debt um even honestly like domestic violence like you can call the eap really about almost anything and they will get you to the right place i didn't know that i did not know that they're they're so amazing so eap if you work somewhere with an eap maximize the use of that Mm -hmm. but i thought it was fascinating that he made that was a requirement of his job 
And he and and really like he provides opportunities for the workers to get together with and support each other and self-directed sort of meetings, not the boss telling you what we're here for for staff meeting, but like you guys just need to get together and talk and share and share resources and learn together and support one another because that's he's also there and available for it and there are other meetings for that. But, you know, these are some pretty, pretty these are things that institutions can do to support caregivers. Yes, yes. To provide time and space. Yeah. yeah. I I also want to just toss out a couple of other interesting ideas that I came across as community members and also as uh, as community members that we might be able to do. So, obviously you mentioned before anything we can do to offer gratitude. Um, mm-hmm. You know, meals delivered, the teacher appreciation day, you know, being kind to the person when you're receiving health care. Um, if your doctor is late, just let it be because they were helping someone else before you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But also um, there's really cool like, oh, medical students in multiple states have volunteered to deliver meals or there are child care and pet care options that people just like volunteer to care for these, you know, again, the children or the pets of um, caregivers in their communities. Several organizations have, you know, partnered with the local YMCA or daycares to just do specific and special programs for children of caregivers. And then there are all of these great programs available for caretaking the mental health and well-being of caregivers and and we will in the show notes add a link to a great article caring for our caregivers it focuses mostly on medical is that the ama yeah it's because it's from i'm so glad you mentioned that one because i was so glad to see that you know listeners know that karina and i share articles and information and studies as we're preparing for these shows and when i saw that ama article that you shared with me where the ama is like getting down and dirty yeah with like how do we have resilient caregivers what can we do to support them i was like that made me that I had some hope. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. the AMA is going to giddy up on taking care of caregivers. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So there are things people can do individually. There's things institutions can do. And then I think there's just a lot all of us can do to be so grateful for these people who are so good to us. Yeah. They're yes. so, so good to us. There's Yes. They are so good to us. And how is it that we can be responsive and appreciative for everything they've done, especially the last two years, the last two awful years? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I got to go get Kirsten a tissue. (laughs) Excuse me for just a minute. No, this is it. And I want to just end. Personally, I just want to end by saying the one thing I can do right now in the air is say, I see you. I appreciate you. you. And wow. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. Yes. To the women... And the men, but you're mostly women out there. Thank you. Who have been care- caretaking. Mm-hmm. Thank you all. Thanks for doing this episode, Katie. Thank you. Okay. Karina, bye. Bye. <laughs> Karina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Karina Hoyer. And Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. listening. <laughs>